The following talk was recorded at Label the Planet 2021 Empowering Users, the annual conference on current issues in ethics, social justice and technology from the Free Software Foundation. Label the Planet is a live conference and speakers often use slides and other visual tools to assist their presentation. You can see the videos of these talks at media.libreplanet.org or on the FSF Peertube channel. Label Planet speakers do not represent the mission of the Free Software Foundation. We host speakers talking about their use of free software in different kinds of political and commercial work. The FSF supports their freedom, but does not take positions on any political issues other than those necessary to uphold the principles of free software. Like all the FSF's work on behalf of the grievance of all computer users, Nemo Planet is made possible by thousands of individuals. To keep our work going, please consider becoming an associate member via my.fsf.org join or making a donation at my.fsf.org donate. You can stay informed by subscribing to our newsletter, The Free Software Supporter, at fsf.org fss and for more information on LibrePlanet, you can visit libreplanet.org conference. You are now muted. Okay. Thank you. We are live. Um, welcome, everybody. This is Juan Mendes. I am a computer programmer from Sevilla, Spain. Um, I have the honor to present today uh, Giselle Junjunwala and Charlie Koch. I hope I say it correctly. And they will present in, uh, a talk titled Gamifying, Gamifying Education, the Libre Way. And this will be presented by, by Giselle and Charlie. Giselle is an artist and self-taught programmer, also an outreachy alumna. And their work uses exclusively free software, and explores the intersections of art, science, and technology. And their professional experience has taken them back and forth between the United States and China giving them a unique perspective on art and technology at home and abroad. Um, on the other hand, Charlie is a digital creative who champions the conflicts of technology and art, and he loves showing others how to do the same. And in this talk, Giselle and Charlie will talk about how gamification can enhance learning and how they have combined this concept with free software to create and modify their own game. Uh, we will also learn how to how we can apply this work to empower educators and students to gamify their own interests. Well, now it is your turn. So today we wanted to talk to you about gamifying education the Libre way. So the ways that we want to do that is first we want to talk about what is gamification. And then we'll go into the Philemon project, which is a game that encourages sharing and modification of the game. Uh, and then we'll talk about Philo Western PA edition, which is a special variant of it that we made from the original Philemon game. 
Uh, and then we'll talk about DocGen, which is a software that we use to create that variant. And then we're going to wrap it all up with education and how this all ties back to how the, the processes that we use and how those can be used for any educational goal. And then we'll have time for some questions at the end. So what is gamification? Gamification is the use of game design principles in a non-game context. Uh, it's all about motivation and forming habits. So we're trying to get people to engage in activities that they normally may not have thought about or they may not uh, have some initial motivation to do. Um, the key thing with education and gamification is that gamification is not the same as educational gaming. Uh, an educational game uh, can have gamification in it, but it is not itself gamification. The main difference is that in gamification, the actions that you take are actual, uh, they have consequences outside of the game. They, they usually affect something in the real world. Um, whereas when you do something inside an educational game, it's really just for that game and nothing else. Uh, a good example of this is Data Dealer, which is an educational game about surveillance capitalism and how companies use your private information uh, to make money. Now, it's a fantastic educational game, but everything that you do in that game only affects the game itself. Um, there's no real-world consequences for anything that you do within the game. Um, what we want to try to demonstrate in the next few slides is show how gamification is different from educational gaming and the ways that things are gamified. And we'll look at that through three examples. We'll see uh, with various fitness apps, uh, how they encourage people to uh, form healthy habits and how to uh, form workout routines. We're going to look at iWire, which is a software that was developed uh, at MIT and is currently used at Princeton University, where uh, it's a game that players are solving puzzles, but those puzzles are actually linked to real neurons in a real human brain. So when the players are playing the game, they're actually uh, assisting the research of researchers at uh, Princeton University. And then we'll look at Habitica, which is a web app, free and open source, that transforms your to-do list into an epic RPG. So one of the main ways that gamification uh, motivates people is through rewards. And rewards are typically um, extrinsic, meaning they come from outside of the person and they are given to you. Um, we see this a lot with fitness apps. They give you uh, badges and trophies for doing certain goals and, and doing certain fitness things. Um, and with iWire, the main goal of it is to earn points. So as you solve the puzzle and the quicker and more efficiently you solve the puzzle, the more points you get. And you can also earn ranks and place on leaderboards. Uh, and with Habitica, since that's based on uh, sort of the concept of like a, a RPG uh, character progression, the main way that uh, you're tasks affect things as you earn items and you'll unlock new quests and things like that. Um, so you're constantly getting this stream of new things every time you accomplish your goals. One of the other ways that uh, is popular with gamifying a concept is to create a narrative around that concept. And this is kind of a mix of extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. The, the story itself comes from outside, but it's really the player's curiosity and their, their need to want to know more about the subject. Uh, that moves it forward. So it's a little bit of a mix of both. Uh, we see with Habitica, because it's based on an RPG idea, uh, character progression and story are very important. 
and using uh, your to-do list to actually make your character stronger and change their stats and change how they look, uh, that's a big part of that whole uh, uh, game and, and application. And iWire actually has uh, different characters that they've created and they have storylines that they follow. So they'll have different events during uh, the year where uh, players can unravel certain mysteries and solve certain puzzles that will unlock more of that storyline. Uh, another common way that gamification is done is through different social measures. Uh, so we see this with fitness apps. Uh, they share, uh, people can share their data and their accomplishments either through social media or even within the app itself. If they have uh, friends who use the app, they can show off their goals and your, their progress and everything like that. Uh, Habitica, going along with this RPG idea, is that you can actually party and you can have uh, to-do lists that are for a group. And so you're all working together to accomplish these goals. And then those goals get mapped onto actual things that, uh, you know, not only things that happen in the game, but these are real tasks that you're accomplishing. Uh, and then iWire has different uh, comp competition events that they'll do. And that's where you can sign up on a team and you're actually working together with other people uh, to accomplish a goal in a certain amount of time or map a certain number of points or something like that. So there's a lot of uh, not just playing by yourself, but playing with others and learning more about the process of playing the game. Um, so next, uh, Giselle is going to go ahead and talk about the Philemon project. So what is the Philemon project? Well, according to the website, uh, Philemon game began as a reaction to the following nugget of information. Kids know more about Pokemon creatures than they do about real creatures. Philo is an exercise in crowdsourcing, open access, and open game development to create a trading card game that makes use of the wonderful, complex, and inspiring things that inform our notion of biodiversity. With the game mechanics under a Creative Commons attribution share alike uh, license, I wondered how much like free and open source development it would be to make a variant. It was started in 2010 by David Eng with the hope that different communities will attempt to create their own card decks in response to a specific problem and that is dependent on their localized needs and context. Um, there are 26 decks on the website since 2012 and some examples of these decks and remixes of the game include the West Coast Marine Biology Deck, which is created by high school students and introduces a new game mechanic regarding water depth. Filaginios in Colombia, which is a deck with species localized to Colombia. A first grade classroom in Vancouver, which made an expansion deck for another deck that was Vancouver based. Women in Health Research, which looks at the challenges of gender inequality. The Genetic Society of America deck, which looks at the process of genetic research. And the phytochemistry deck, which highlights plant species that are important because of the chemical compounds that they provide. And this is just a few of the many examples. So what is Phyla Western PA edition? Well, it's a cooperative variant of the uh, original game. It features local flora and fauna found in the Western PA region. The original game is a competitive game, so we wanted to provide people with a way to play the game in a cooperative way 
thus make it easier for people who shy away from competition to join in on the fun. All this was created during my virtual artist residency for the Creative Learning Network of Pittsburgh, who are looking for teaching artists to create educational content for kids. The project is published on their site for middle schoolers looking for educational home activities. The educational resources had to fit within the Pennsylvania school guidelines and was a way, and I thought it was a great way to share the project with the community. So how to play. Here's a video uh, explaining how to play our cooperative variant. Two to four players will work together to build a functioning ecosystem, which will change and evolve as the game progresses. The more varied or robust your ecosystem, the more points you earn. Players will also face threats to their ecosystem diversity, like heat waves, water pollution, and other negative events linked to human-created climate change. At the end of the game, players tally up the scores and compare it to the score chart to see how effective their ecosystem is. Species cards contain all the creatures in the game. Each species has a common name, the everyday name for the species, a Latin name, what scientists call them, and a classification. This is how organism is scientifically categorized. Species also have a diet, what the organism eats, a scale, which shows the relative size of the species, and a point value. This is how many points a species is worth in the game. In addition, species have a terrain, this is the place or places they can live, a climate, which is a preferred long-term average weather of an area, and a description, which explains how the species may be played, any special rules, and fun facts. Credits can be found in the lower left of the image in order to let people know who took the picture. And finally, licensing, or the legal stuff. We use these licenses, which means that anybody can share, copy, or distribute the cards so long as credit goes to the artist, with the exception of public domain images, which do not require attribution. Place a home card in the center of the playing area. Home cards have a region they represent, and the wild cards and are wild cards in that they allow any terrain and climate to be placed right next to them. Then take all of the cards except for the home card and shuffle them together. This will be the main deck from which players will draw their cards into their hand. Each player then draws three cards from the main deck into their hand. If any event cards are drawn, place them off to the side and draw another card. Once each player has three cards in their hand, shuffle any event cards that have been placed aside back into the main deck. If you cannot play anything from your hand, you may choose to get a new hand. Cards can be shown to the group as this is a cooperative game. Players can use up to three actions. Play a card from their hand, move, or pass. You can play a species cards from your hand to build an ecosystem. Ecosystems must start by placing a photosynthetic species so that they do not get energy from eating other species. To expand out the food chains, cards must match one climate and one terrain. Since the home card is a wild card, the terrain and climate automatically match. Now let's place down the millipede. Cards must also be compatible based on diet. The millipede is an herbivore, so it can eat the mulberry. It must also match one terrain and one climate. Now let's try to place down the goose. These cards are compatible based on diet 
and carnivores or omnivores like the goose must be compatible based on scale. The goose is a scale 6, so it can eat a scale 4 millipede. The cards must again match terrain, but in this case they do not, so the goose cannot be played. During a turn, the player also has the ability to move cards if that species has a move or flight value on the card. Move means the species can move up, down, left, or right on the board. Flight means the species can move like a move card, plus diagonally. Players can also choose to pass their turn, forfeiting any remaining actions. You can use any combination of these actions. Event cards will pop up from time to time in order to disrupt your ecosystem. They must be played immediately when the player draws them. There are two types of event cards, man-made and natural. Let's play the water pollution card by reading how to play it. It says, place this card under the species that lives in grassland or urban with the most adjacent species cards. This card will not be scored for points. Adjacent cards receive negative one points. Look at the habitat to see which species has a grassland or urban terrain. From there, figure out which species has the most adjacent species in this case, the millipede, and then you move the card under the millipede. Now that water pollution is placed under the millipede, the species next to them get negative one. There are two options for dealing with the scenario. You can move the species, or you can play an action if you have an action card in your hand. This specific action allows you to remove one water pollution event card from the board. If you do use it, then you place both cards into the discard pile. Some cards will not fit conventionally into the game, such as the deer tech. Special rules will be written on the card to explain how they can be played. Following the special rules allows the card to be placed next to the woodpecker or the goose. Some cards may fit together in the game, based on food chain, climate, scale, and terrain, but not in real life. It's up to the players to decide if they want to allow them to be played or not. Use what you know of, about species and action cards to build food chains and biodiverse ecosystems to deal with the catastrophic events that will happen during the game. When the last card is drawn from the main deck, the player plays their turn and the game officially ends. Tally up the points and see how you did. Can you build a sustainable or even flourishing ecosystem? Thanks for watching and enjoy playing Philo Western PA Edition. So next we're going to talk about DocGen, which stands for Document Generator. Uh, DocGen is a command line utility uh, that's for creating repetitive documents from spreadsheet data. Uh, it was originally developed in Python. Uh, it was later ported to JavaScript with a simple UI that has the same functionality. Uh, when we were making Philo Western PA edition, we used DocGen to make all the cards. Uh, but it can be used to make anything. You can use it for mailing labels or table placards, anything where you have a spreadsheet of data and you want to represent it in some visual way. Uh, in Philo, a core part of uh, the game is making a deck. It's kind of like Magic the Gathering or Pokemon. 
you're going to be facing off against uh, an opponent who has a different deck, and you're going to try to, uh, you know, mess with each other's ecosystems. Uh, but since our game is a cooperative game, we don't really have that element as a part of the game anymore. But we still uh, kind of liked this idea of building a deck because it fosters a lot of really interesting educational opportunities uh, to put different animals and environments together and uh, things like that. So we decided we wanted to use DocGen for this um, and allow people to use DocGen to um, create their own decks. And this is sort of where we uh, gamified. Um, we're, we're encouraging this use of uh, the game mechanic to actually spread information and build a community around uh, the game uh, rather than it being just an influence on the game itself. So uh, Philo doesn't really have a lot of stuff on their official website of how to make cards. They have a couple templates and a how-to guide uh, but they don't really provide, like, from start to finish, a way to create an entire deck of cards. Uh, and DocGen itself is also not super easy to use if you don't know HTML and CSS and spreadsheets. Um, and especially since we were targeting um, students, and specifically middle school students, we wanted something that was a lot simpler to use and something that, um, you know, almost anybody could use with just a, a regular web browser. Um, so we actually created a web application based on the code from DocGen, but expanded to create an entire deck of cards from scratch. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and demonstrate that now. So we have here uh, the uh, the Philo card generator. So this is what it looks like when you first open it up. Um, we have a bunch of things at the top here. There's export. So once you've created some cards, you can export those cards as either JSON or CSV, and you can edit those files directly or just save them to use later. Um, obviously, that's used in conjunction with the import. So you can save several different decks as uh, as different files and then import them to work on them later. Um, we also have the sample data here. So we'll go ahead and import. This is all the cards from Philo Western PA edition. And so you can go ahead and take a look at all the cards that are in here. Um, you can create all the different types of cards. So you can create species cards. You can make your different event cards. Um, and also the other cards, just the, you know, like the home card and um, the token cards. And we also have some helper cards that just sort of give you a quick reminder of the rules. Uh, so you can have these extra cards in your deck as well. So the thing that we wanted to do with this is make it really easy to use. And so anytime you edit a card, it's going to show up in this preview panel uh, immediately. So if we wanted to go ahead and create a new card, uh, we can go ahead and click the plus button. That gives us a blank card to work with, and we can start entering in some data on here, and it will actually uh, show up on the card immediately. So you can see the, the changes in your, uh, in your card as you do them. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and fill in some data here. Uh, and so this interface is, uh, makes it super easy to put these cards together. Um, and we've actually uh, been talking to David Eng. Uh, the creator of the original Philemon project, 
and uh, he was very interested in us working with him and we are going to begin working with him on adding this uh, to the official Philo website uh, so that anyone will be able to uh, use this tool. I mean, they already can, but it's it's uh, available through the uh, artist residency uh, from the Creative Learning Network of Pittsburgh, whereas uh, we're going to be working on a version that's a little more generic and maybe um, get wider exposure through the, the Philo website instead. Uh, so you can see here we can add, you know, some details about the mouse. If there's any special rules we need to note about the mouse, we can do that. And then we go ahead and save it here. And it's going to add that to our list of cards. So if we go all the way to the bottom, there's our house mouse card in the list of cards. And then when we're done and we want to create a deck, we can go ahead and hit print. And then we can choose which cards we want to print out, how we want to print them. And then when you do that, it's going to open up a new window with all of the cards that were created. And we can actually check all the way at the bottom here should be our mouse card that we just made. Yep, and there it is right there. So you can kind of see this gives a really easy way to compile a deck and print it out and get right into playing the game without very much effort. So how does all of this come together with education? Well, we've already discussed that gamification creates meaningful experiences that extend outside of the game. Um, one professor, uh, Dr. Scott Nicholson, who's a professor of game design and development at Wilfrid Laurier University, uh, said that gamification for long-term behavior change is best done with intrinsic rewards rather than extrinsic ones. Uh, according to Desi and Ryan's self-determination theory, there are three things that are connected with intrinsic motivation, mastery, autonomy, and relatedness. Um, so as we see with extrinsic rewards, one of the main problems with using exclusively extrinsic rewards and gamification is that you need a constant stream of rewards. You need something for people to keep coming back to earn or to get or anything like that. And this can actually decrease their internal motivation to play because they're just getting this constant stream. Uh, extrinsic rewards can also be kind of abusive. Uh, we see this with things like gambling, gambling mechanics, this is even poured over into mainstream video games. Gambling mechanics encourage addiction and get people to spend money and spend time on things that they don't really care about. But because of the reward system that's in place, uh, it gets them to do these things. Uh, there's, we've also seen uh, social credit systems, which China actually has one, uh, where uh, doing certain things and posting things on social media and things like that, it's almost like a Black Mirror episode, you can earn social credit, which actually makes it easier for uh, things like applying for loans or like applying for certain government programs and things. So it almost becomes like this really nefarious form of control where you get people to do things and you give them something in return for it. Um, and then we also see there's a lot of studies about even in education where giving grades and ranks actually demotivates people. And, uh, you know, you can even see it in some competitive video games where someone who really enjoys the game all of a sudden doesn't like playing it anymore because they're playing a ranked mode where they just get put at the bottom all the time and they just stop doing it because it demotivates them. 
so we see that these extrinsic rewards don't really get us the long-term benefits that we want to see from gamification. And that's where uh, Scott, Dr. Scott Nicholson's work comes in. He did uh, a paper about uh, gamification, and he made a framework based on the ideas of uh, mastery, autonomy, and relatedness. And for more information, we will uh, cite that paper at the end of the presentation. So Philo, um, the Philomon project, and our variant as well, encourages creation and modification of the game as a core part of it. Um, and you can see these three precepts here. Mastery would be just being good at the game, being able to play it well, being able to design it well, uh, all these sorts of things, being able to understand the systems of the game and the content of the game uh, is the, the mastery of it. And then you see with autonomy is the, the sharing and the modification, the ability to take this game and make it whatever you want it to be. It could have different animals or plants or even with the uh, women in research where it's about a completely different topic, you know, where it's about discrimination in the workplace. Excuse me. And then there's also relatedness <clears throat> where there's an entire community built around this. And so you have, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> so you have this whole community that's built around the Philo game and that's why they have the decks published on the website. They wanna encourage people to make their own decks and share them, share the knowledge of those decks and share the experience of playing those decks together. <laughs> we wanted to keep that spirit and empower Sorry. users to create their own version of our version. So that's how uh, we use the doc gen to do that. So how does that tie into free software? Well, the four freedoms are the ability to run, study, share, and build upon the code. The free freedoms overlap with self-determination theory in these ways. With mastery, that can be achieved through setting and building upon uh, free open source software. With autonomy, well, free and open source software is basically all about autonomy, so the four freedoms fit in with this idea. And with relatedness, the ability to share and build upon the code is an act that can create uh, and build community. So as far as education, uh, the next time that you find yourself needing to lead a workshop or have some kind of class project or anything like that, you can try to think of these three uh, precepts of self-determination and meaningful gamification and sort of apply those uh, to whatever your project is. Uh, you can look at mastery as creation in public, right? And we see this with both software and, and anything really. If you create something that's going to go out in public and everyone is going to see it, you're more made of motivated to make it really good and to show your competency because you're going to be judged on that and it's going to be used by other people. So it, it better be correct. It better do or explain things the way that it's supposed to. Um, autonomy, you want to try and encourage a curriculum that allows sharing and collaboration. Um, and the freedom to sort of take the project in any direction you want. Uh, you know, with some education, it's just sort of a linear path from we're going to go from this subject to this subject to this subject. 
and it's been shown in a lot of studies that that doesn't really do anything. Um, a lot of times students become disinterested because they're not allowed to explore the topic at their own pace and with their own uh, interests incorporated into it. And then if you can incorporate relatedness, not only in the project itself through group work and collaboration, but also extending out to communities that already exist in the subject matter, or uh, even fostering maybe a community. You know, um, with Philo, the whole idea of creating decks and sharing decks was something that you know had been done in other games for years, and and Philo was like, we should do that too. So uh, creating your own communities as well as extending out to other communities uh, can be very helpful as well. Uh, we've listed the projects here uh, referenced in the talk, and I hope that the talk provided some insights as to the principles of meaningful gamification and free software and how it can be applied to education. I highly encourage you to look at Dr. Scott Nicholson's work and his discussion about using behavioral techniques versus humanistic ones. He provides a recipe for meaningful gamification, which is based on humanism and has great ideas for incorporating gamification into your or educational projects today. So now I think we have uh, some time left over for questions. Hello, yeah, the IRC channel was quite active and we have several questions. I will go through them in order. Um, the first one that we have uh, early on during the presentation, uh, People was wondering about the this the similarity or benefit that this tool that you presented have with other tools, for example, with Google Scholar. What they have in common or what differences they have? What tools do you mention? Uh, Google Scholar. Well, I mean, Google Scholar is proprietary, so that's a difference. Um, Yes, I understand they have a different approach. Thank you. Um, if you have any more questions, feel free to ask. And the other one is what, uh, what type of students are using this tool currently? I guess they are wondering about the age of the students, for example. Uh, middle school, so around 10, 11, 12, 13 range. Okay, thank you. Uh, some people asked about, sorry. I was just saying it's also a, a resource for teachers as well. Um, that's sort of what we were, when we've been discussing with David Eng is he wants more resources for teachers to be able to use Philo to teach, uh, not only about ecology, but it, all kinds of things. And uh, so he's really interested in uh, us working with him to create uh, a tool for teachers to create their own decks. Okay, thanks. Um, one question, this comes from Joseph Smoke Penguin. And the question is, how did kids react to Philo? Um, usually kids are really excited when they make their own decks, uh, we noticed. And so like the fancier uh, the deck and then 
the ability to choose what species are there. People, the kids get attached to certain species and I think that's what kind of draws them in in the beginning because they're like, oh, this is such a cute animal. Like, I want to keep this alive in the ecosystem. And also when they, if it's either a deck based on an area that they live in or if it's a deck that they themselves have made, uh, they really like when they can see animals and plants that they recognize that they're like, oh, I've seen that before. That's that's in my backyard. Like, that's that's really cool. And they love that kind of stuff. So. Yes, sounds cool. And we have another questions or well, a set of questions by Omsai. His number one question was, do you know the approximate effort in hours and that students take to create their own desks? And how many iterations did they go through? Um, that's dependent on the teacher in the classroom, because um, the size of it. I've heard that teachers will, you know, assign the students to make one card and then the whole class comes together, submits their one card, and they make a deck that way. Um, but yeah, the time length depends on the class. Yes, I understand they can be adapted then. Um, the question number two by Omsai was, it looks like the game is designed for in-person play. I guess it is referring to me, how many players? Yeah. Um, well, since if you're talking specifically about the Philo Western PA edition, since that's a cooperative game, it can be played with any number from one to however many. Um, I guess you're kind of physically limited by the number of cards. Uh, there's only about 40 cards in the deck, so if you have more than four players, uh, the game's going to move at a pretty fast pace. Uh, so that may reduce the enjoyment a little bit. Uh, we recommend two to four players for our variant. Um, the original game is meant to be a two-player game where it's one versus one, um, but the, all the different decks have different rules and different uh, variations of the game, so it really depends on which variant of the game you're playing. Okay, thanks. And the last question from from Hamsai is, is there interest in adapting uh, Philo for online play, or do you have any recommendation for a free software online card game like Tabletop Simulator? I guess that's an interesting question. Um, I know that the the idea of sharing the, the decks and uh, all of that was definitely meant to be an in-person thing, um, but I'm, I'm not sure. I know um, like you mentioned with Tabletop Simulator, that's definitely a very easy way to do it because Tabletop Simulator is literally a one-to-one -one correlation with a physical game. Um, I think with a digital game, uh, you'd lose some of the autonomy of Philo in that a digital game would restrict you to certain rules and um, because it would have to operate within that structure. Uh, so it really depends on how it was implemented because it is a core thing that with all board games, but especially with Philo, is the ability to modify and change the game in any way that you want. 
Okay, thank you. We have uh, another question by attendee 4129. Um, her question is, how can be implemented this project in OLPC? I guess this is one, lamp, one laptop per child. Are you familiar with uh, this project? I don't know, we haven't really thought about integrating it anywhere, but we're open to people wanting to collaborate and are excited about that. Yeah. Um, I am looking for the last questions. Um, some people are asking about the, the principles that you mentioned about mastery, autonomy and resources. Uh, um they wanted to confirm that they were i understand that they were those right yeah. uh we we have another question now um they say do the speakers have suggestions uh, on how one could use gamification for adult edu adult education he gives an example like privacy workshops. Um, I would refer back to that recipe for meaningful gamification um, and Scott Nicholson's work. Um, he goes through at length for how to incorporate that, again, humanistic point of view um, with gamification. And it, it really depends on their specific needs. So it's hard to give a general um, you know, uh, advice without really understanding it. But yeah, read the paper, it's really excellent. And I, I think it really stirs up some ideas. Okay, thank you. We have like uh, two or three minutes more for questions. So please keep them coming. Uh, in the meanwhile, I, I may have another questions. Um, it, it is more uh, taking into account, maybe this is a more broad question. And um, personally, I am interested in an original case of gamification that you have found. What is the most original case that you have found or you found it different from other approaches? Uh, this is a more broad can question. Rephrase that question. What do you mean by original? Yes. In general, uh, in your experience, when you have found examples of gamification, did you found did you find some original approach that you noticed that it was hey this is different from what other people is doing? Um, I mean, I think this uh, again meaningful gamification is I guess a different way of looking at gamification because usually when you see gamification out in the wild, it falls. Um, back onto extrinsic rewards, which is, you know, the badges, um, uh, grades, and, and all of these other external things. Um, so when we came across this idea, and then we we're thinking about free or open source software, we were like, hey, it actually like fits in with a lot of the values. And we started making those connections, um, as we discussed in this talk. And that's why we kind of wanted to build out uh, DocGen to maybe gamify the making of Philo 
Um, and we were thinking of um, more ideas for expanding Dokken so that it gives people more in internal motivation to create, continue creating cards and learning about the environment and, and therefore caring about the environment. I think the, uh, the example that, that Dr. Nicholson gives is a uh, science museum and how most museums have a pretty strict like no touch policy, right? Whereas science museums, that's typically not the case. They, they want you to interact with all of the exhibits and, and, you know, get your hands dirty, so to speak. And he sort of related that to gamification. The gamification is the, uh, the meaningful gamification is that sort of idea. of You want people to not just engage with it on a surface level. You want them to actually take the subject and make it a part of their own internal motivation so that they will continue to explore and, and interact with that subject even after the gamification has disappeared. Okay, I think we have like 30 seconds left. So I invite everybody to continue the discussion on the IRC on any other channel that Libre Planet has. Um, I want to thank you, you, Giselle and Charlie and all the attendants for the questions. It was a very interesting, interesting topic. Um, I hope to, to contact you uh, soon about and know more about Philo and all the work you presented. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.